Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby, Out of My Mind. This is podcast 006, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. We believe that God's Word enables us to make sense of our existence and not merely to survive, but to thrive in this broken, fallen, and often confusing world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 to 25 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective and break down some complex issue confronting you, the culture, or the church. Now at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study just in case you'd like to dig in a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. As always, this is Keith Crosby. I'm lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California, and I'm joined in the studio by Mark Stickler, one of our student ministries pastors. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me again, Keith. You know, this week I was thinking of just how we deal with all these this death and tragedy and things that are around us. Um, I saw a news report the other day that uh, the COVID nineteen deaths have now passed two hundred thousand people, and I, I and really my thought was. Man, how does this affect those people? Um, there's so much, I think, politics that surround coronavirus, and and so really, I think that the the topic can almost extend further. Yes, there's these people that are that are hurting and grieved because they've lost loved ones, and uh, I, I think no matter what your politics are, like any time a life is lost, that's a tragedy. And so, you know, the thing that crossed my mind is how do I, as a young pastor, deal with this? And really. The larger question, how do we as Christians comfort and console and help people that are going through these times of tragedy um, and pain in their lives? This is one of the most uh, touchy or difficult aspects of ministry. I'm reminded that ministry like uh, marriage and children is, is the greatest and the toughest job you'll ever have. And every Christian, every Christian person is called to ministry. And providing comfort to others in time of tragedy and loss is one of those difficult things. There's no, there's no formula. There's no uh, easy how-to. When I look at the scriptures, the scriptures that I use to guide my mind and heart when I'm dealing with a death or an accident or something like that is Romans 12.15. And we've used it before in this podcast but it says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I think in that simple statement, even command there, you have the guidance that you need. When you look at it, there's a command, there's an impetus there that we are to be there with our brothers and sisters in Christ or even members of our own family in times of triumph and tragedy. And when, when somebody dies, and I've, I tell you, as a pastor, I have been blessed and challenged with some really difficult situations. I remember a family in my church, they'd been in the church for just six weeks, and they delivered a stillborn child after nine months of pregnancy, full term, hours of labor. I was there with them. I stepped out for the last part of the delivery and then stepped back in, and there's this beautiful, beautiful baby boy dead, and a mother and a father that I hardly knew in need of comfort. And, and what do you say in a time like that? What do you do? This verse provides that. I had another situation. As you know, I lived in Southern California, and uh, my office was uh, about six miles from the uh, terrorist shootings in San Bernardino. 
and I had the privilege and, and, and the opportunity to speak to a man, a father of three, whose wife had been murdered by the two Islamic terrorists there in San Bernardino. And it was difficult. What do you say? And then for so-called routine tragedies, and I don't mean that in some glib or funny way, as Christians, we're going to have friends and family who lose loved ones. And, and this passage, this verse here, for me, has been very helpful. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. If they're a believer sometimes, and particularly if they lived a long and fruitful life and they have children and grandchildren, the situation is different. The death maybe isn't as sudden, and the family knows that they will be together again. And the homegoing service and even the aftermath of the death is, I mean, people are sad and, and they might be tearful and crying, but they're also rejoicing in the fact that they will be there together. And you rejoice with them, but you know what you do? You stand there and you're just with them and you try to comfort them and you listen and you sort of take your lead from them. And so they rejoice and you rejoice with them. On the other hand, in a very real sense, there's grief because if you we all know, for example, that a parent is not going to live forever. Intellectually, we know that. But emotionally, we want to keep them forever. And when they die, even if they are believers and are with the Savior, there is loss. Even that temporary loss hurts, and it hurts badly. And so you weep with them. And what do you say? You don't say, well, you're going to see them again someday. I mean... You will say something like that eventually, but sometimes it's good just to be there with them, a hand on the shoulder. Somebody may want to put a head on your shoulder. You just may want to pat them, whatever. You just want to be present. And rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep speaks to being present with somebody in that trial and in that tragedy. And I think that's the first rule, if you want to give it, call it a rule, is just to be there for them. Yeah, I know um, for me especially, um, I think one of the hard things is when when I do hear of people going through uh, these struggles and um, or in these hard times, I don't always know what to say, and uh, and and I also feel pretty awkward being there. I remember uh, my dad one time telling me, uh, "I don't like to go visit people in the hospital because hospitals are where people go to die, and I, I don't want to go to the hospital." and um, obviously like that's part of this job here as a pastor. And, um, really, I think it's, it's part of our job as a Christian to go in comfort. Like you said, you know, weep with those who weep, um, go be with them. And, um, so what would you say to the people, maybe kind of like me that, uh, you know, we get into that situation and you're there, but it feels awkward and you don't know what to do. Um, maybe kind of elaborating on some of that being present. Sure. You know, Job's friends got one thing right. You know, when you go to the book of Job, and everybody likes to beat up on Job's friends, but they're just people. And, and they had some wrong ideas, and they, they did some wrong things there. But when they first joined him, it talks about them sitting there silently with him in his grief because he had lost his children. You know, he had, a lot, he had lost a lot, and, and they just sat there with him while he wept and grieved. And if they just kept quiet and done that, things would have probably gone somewhat better. <laughs> but there is a time to talk. And, and maybe one of the things to do is, is to tell them how much you care for them 
and tell them that you, I don't know what to say. I can't imagine what you're feeling right now, but you know what? I love you and, and God loves you and I'm here for you. Hmm. Sometimes the less said, the better. Uh, sometimes, even with a mature believer, it's not time to remind them of good theology. The first thing out of your mouth must not be, well, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose, you know, Romans 8, 28, or Genesis 50, where it says, where Joseph says, uh, as few you meant evil against me, but God intended it for good. It's probably not time for a theology lesson. It's time to remind them of what is true, you know, that God loves them, that you love them, and that you're there for them. It's it's keeping it simple. And that's where the whole presence things comes in. Sometimes you just stand there with them, and if you don't know what to say, don't say anything. But use your body language and your presence to encourage them. It's hard for you. It's hard for them. It's harder for them. And so sometimes the less said, the better. Job's friends said too much, but at the beginning, they did well. So another question, maybe kind of along those lines a little bit, but probably a much tougher um, is uh, how you deal with the death of someone who you know is not Christian. Um, and then how do you comfort the families in that situation? I think, like, for me, I, I know that I cannot, like, tell this family, like, yes, you're going to see your loved one again in heaven. Like, that's lying to them. But then at the same time, like, it does feel like that's the most comforting thing to tell them at that point. Um, and, uh, and so how do, you, how do you deal with that as you're going into maybe do a funeral or comfort a family of a loved one who isn't a believer? That's a good question. One of the things to always remember is that only two individuals know for sure at the moment of death whether the person is saved or not. And that's God himself and the individual. Sometimes people... Uh, their family and friends who shared the gospel with them numbers of times, and then in the closing moments of their life, and w- whether they seem to die in their sleep overnight, or whether they uh, die while they're unconscious after surgery, whether they go into a coma and die, or whatever happens, we do not know what happens in the closing minutes of their lives, what transacts between them and the Savior. And I ha- I've had somebody ask me, do you think my mother or father is in heaven or hell? Because they just never wanted God. They never wanted Jesus. And I said to them, look, I don't know. I don't know. You shared the gospel with them uh, a lot of times in pride and stubbornness because a prophet has no honor among his own people or her own people or her own family. They won't, they won't do that. But right before they die, they, you know, all bets are off. They are a lot less confident. They may have a sense that they're dying, and they may, they may come to Christ like the thief on the cross. So what I tell them is, you know, I don't know, and you don't know. We know that they heard the gospel, and we know that God is good, and we know that they are in the hands of a righteous and holy and gracious and loving God. And the only time that you and I can really know for sure is when we cross over. And until then, there's nothing we can do but just trust God, particularly when life hurts like this. That uh, reminds me of when uh, when I was in high school, one of my best friends committed suicide, and mm. uh, I, you know, would have been saved at that point, you know, maybe six months, eight months mm. at that point, um, and I remember thinking and having just all these thoughts running through my head, and, and just saying, you know what, 
I know that even though I was probably not the best witness in, in all of those things, like I know I did share the gospel at least once with him. And and my hope and and really my prayer and everything was that there is a chance. I don't know what happened at the end of his life. And uh, it was that hope, I think, that helped me mm. um, deal with this better than you know a bunch of the other guys that were on our football team. Um, we had all, you know, we grew up in a smaller town. We all played football together forever. Um, and so it hit all of us pretty hard. But I remember at the funeral, um, looking around at these guys and, and seeing some of them that seemed just so lost because to, to them, you know, death was the end. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and I remember leaving the funeral thinking to myself, you know, like, thank you, God, that I have this hope that you've given me, you know, because I, I, I don't know what happened. And so... I even to this day, like I hope that there was a mindset change. I don't know, um, and it's again, like you said, it's not for me to judge. But yeah, it's it's good to ha- be able to have that hope and hold on to that. And so that's um that's some really good advice there on what to say. Yeah, you know, comforting people in times of tragedy and loss is sort of like a two-stage rocket. There's what happens immediately after the death, and a lot of times the church and their friends and their family are good at coming around them and comforting them and their pastors and everything. But then what happens is the crowd disperses, the funeral's over, the wake is over, you know, the potluck, whatever else, you know, the repast, whatever you want to call it, and the person is left all alone. And one of the things I'd like to say to to you or to anybody is don't forget the aftermath. Weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, being present for them extends to beyond the funeral, beyond the week of the death. It might, a lot, in my own life, my father uh, died suddenly. He, uh, he died right after Christmas dinner of a heart attack. He'd had a couple of small heart attacks, and, uh, and then boom, he was taken from us. And then the, people rushed to us and they comforted us. And then they sort of just sort of slipped away back into the routines of their own life. And I hit a wall as a 20-something-year-old guy at about six months. I hit a brick wall. And I remember I had to withdraw from school. I took, a, I took time off from school. It was really tough. And my mother, within six weeks of the funeral, well, I had gone back to college. Uh, my, you know, some of my, bro- my brothers had, had grown up and moved away. And even though one of them lived nearby, it was tough for her. And I just want to say to, to all Christians and to all family members, don't forget to help them with the little things. Being present might just be cutting the grass, taking them out for coffee, making sure that the car gets an oil change, helping them sort through the closet of the loved one if they have to clean that closet out, checking in on them, not for a week, not for two, but six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, maybe pointing them at like a grief share ministry. But being present means it's more of a long game. It's more of a marathon. That first year is really, really difficult. So it could be just dropping in and periodically taking them to lunch or meeting them for coffee, letting them talk, letting them vent sometimes. You know, even the most spiritual people you know, it's it's easy to, and I don't say this glibly, it's easy to be spiritual when you're not the one suffering. And so they say things that will startle you, 
and you're, you're, you want to be, you want to listen to them and hear them out, and you do want to speak truth to them, speaking the truth in love. But basically, you and the church, as a friend or a pastor or a loved one, need to stay in touch, in contact, to remain present in their lives, because it's going to be a rough year with birthdays or bill paying, and maybe maybe one of the spouses paid all the bills, and this one doesn't know how to do any of that. That's where the people of God and the people in their family need to come around and stay connected. That's And that's long-term care, long-term comfort. Those are some awesome, I think, practical tips uh, for, for us to do, and, and for me, uh, that's very helpful because uh, I am a classic fixer. I always want to just fix, and I want everything to come back to normal. Um, but it's a, just a great reminder for us who, when we're not going through the tragedy, it's it's easy to be like, okay, well, we just need to return to normal and things are going to be better. But um, but you bring up a great point, I think, with the the way that the grief comes. It doesn't come all at once. I know even as I walked through the, the death of my best friend or even um, the death of my grandma and those things, those those took on different stages of, of grief and missing and and all of those things. And so um, I think it's just really great that we have that a reminder as we are dealing with people who are going through tragedy that it's not just going to be better for them in a few weeks. It's going to continue to check in and continue to, you know, ask the questions. And, and it's a good reminder, especially for me, where I would rather avoid the topic because it's sad. Um, but it's it's just a good reminder that, you know, just because we aren't talking about it doesn't mean it goes away. Right. And, you know, sometimes grief comes in waves. You know, there's the initial shock. And then then there are things like birthdays, holidays, anniversaries. They hear a song on the radio. They, they smell a scent in the air. Seasons change. And each of those events is somewhat of a reminder of the loss. And I had a family in one of my churches where their son was murdered. And, you know, remember that God created a perfect world for us to be in. And these things like death and and tragedy were never to be a part of our existence. But we sinned against God and we broke the world and we broke our, our own selves and our moral compasses and we broke our relationship with God. And through, you know, sin and death entered the world through one man, like it talks about in Romans 5, 12. And so things like murder happen that we don't expect to happen. And I remember at the one-year anniversary of the murder, someone in my church told this grieving mother, look, you need to get over this. Mm. You know, it's been a year. And you know what? The loss of a child, you never get over. The... And if you've been married for 30 or 40 years or one year, if you love somebody enough to marry them, I don't expect you would ever be the same. It's almost like a, a chronic injury where the, the pain never quite goes away. There's some, you might say, emotional or spiritual rehab, and you build the musculature back up or whatever, but you're never quite the same. And I think rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep enables us to think about, you know, in being present, that we're always going to be with them and they're always going to be missing that loved one just a little bit. And so we want to be be there for them, be there with them, talk to them. And this is part of uh, 
our ministry as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I like to be happy and to talk about happy times. You know, I think it's a human thing, and nobody likes to bring up sad things, but that's part of our trial, part of our sacrifice, part of our presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, that we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we lock arms with them and walk through this difficult, bumpy, and often tragic life with them. Even if it makes us uncomfortable, you know, God will appreciate it. They will appreciate it. So here's another question on the tragedy side, more so than necessarily just the death side, because there's tragedies that happen in our life that aren't always, don't always just end in death. There's, um, you know, uh, an accident can, can cause, you know, mental trauma or actual physical trauma where that, that person is never the same again. And how do we... Uh, as Christians comfort those people. You know, maybe it's a family in our church whose son was uh, just out on a trip with some guys and jumped into a lake and just hit his spine or, or something. And now he's and now he's paralyzed. And, and like, that's a young kid and his life's never going to be the same. And so how do we talk with them? How do we comfort them? And what are some, maybe some practical tips there? I think you have to acknowledge what they've gone through ask them how they're doing, because in this case, the loved one is with them, even my own daughter. For those who don't know, my daughter was hit by a car. Uh, it resulted in tra traumatic brain injury, uh, a couple of strokes, uh, paralysis. It was really tough, and she's like this young man sort of fought her way back. And I think when, and I know when people talk to me and they say, well, how are things going? And, you know, I think, I think you, you, you have to, when you speak to them, acknowledge the hardship, express concern, and that again comes back to weeping with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, being present. You treat them normal in the abnormality. You speak to them uh, candidly but cautiously. And the key is, is just to try to remain as connected. You know, relationships like broken bones are stressed and, and, and damaged through injury and hardship. Uh, they're strained, and the damage to the relationship isn't because somebody suffered tragedy and we didn't. They've experienced something that we haven't, and we sympathize with them, but we cannot entirely empathize with them. So we just have to be honest and honestly caring and patient. And we have to be uh, gentle and encouraging. You know, we throw this word around in ministry, intentionality. We have to be intentional about all that we say, think, and do with them. But the key is, I believe, is to be with them. That, you know, words translate into deeds, you know. And when we say we love somebody, we put our money where their mouth is, where our mouth is. And that means that we may need to do things for them because they can't do things or they're stretched too thin. And that's part of, again, being present with them. And to me, living out that verse. Well, thank you so much uh, for that advice. I guess uh, it's maybe a little bit of a different podcast for the folks today. It's a little bit more like a pastor to pastor advice or pastor to fellow believer advice. Uh, but I think it's so pertinent to what we're looking at in this world today. And and uh, unfortunately, I think uh, all of us, at some point, our lives are going to be touched by tragedy. Yeah, they are. And, um, and I just appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to lay out kind of how we as Christians, 
especially for young guys like myself that haven't quite lived long enough to experience a, a ton of tragedy. Um, thank you for taking the time to talk through that. No, sure. It was, it's a privilege. I mean, for all guys like me, it's not easy either. And I'm, I'm not that old, but uh, it's hard. You know, it's hard to know what to do, what to say. But, you know, God's word gives us some guidance, of course, and the Holy Spirit is in us, indwelling us, uh, guiding us, enabling us to do things in his strength that we can't do in our own. And uh, that's important. Well, that's the end of the podcast for today. Uh, if you'd like further resources along these lines, uh, you can visit us online at gracetoliveradio.org. That's www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. There will be some, some articles and information there. If uh, you'd like to ask me a question, I'd love to hear from you. I try to answer emails within 24 hours. You can email me at keith at hillside.org. If you're in San Jose or in the neighborhood would like to join us for our outdoor services, you can uh, join us at 1045 a.m. and 630 p.m. You can also join us for online worship at www.hillside.org forward slash services, and you can watch our worship services online. If you'd like to support this podcast, we have a Patreon page. You'll find that at our, at our website. But before we go, also, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or one of those platforms, please like us. Please give us a five-star or whatever the highest rating is so that we can move up in the charts, so to speak. That makes us available to more listeners so that we can take the message of Christ even further. We release this podcast every Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. If you can, subscribe, and that way you'll get a notification on your phone or on your computer. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler. Out of my mind, uh, we wish you a, a good day, and God bless, and God keep you.